welcome to another episode of Normandy FM Final Fantasy X Edition. For the folks at home, it may not feel like you've been away for a long time because we've been releasing on the normal cadence, but for myself, Eric Van Allen, and my co-host, uh, Kenneth Shepard here, it's been quite a while, Ken. I, I have <laughs> missed talking about the Final Fantasy X. Mm-hmm. We, um, uh, about a month we since we left it. Yeah, we pre-recorded a bunch of episodes, basically, because Ken and I have been traveling and doing other things, uh, working on various reviews and stuff, so we (laughs) ourselves have not been in one room, virtual room, I guess, to talk (laughs) about Final Fantasy X for like a month now. Uh, Ken, how are you doing today? I'm okay. I'm a little tired because we are accommodating for time zones this morning, and Mm -hmm. so this is the first thing I've done since getting out of bed approximately 20 minutes ago this is how i wake up every day i wake up and i think about final fantasy 10 and i'm mm, sure mm. the same is true for our guests amy hart how you doing i'm doing good and i can confirm i woke up today i was like oh yeah final fantasy 10 i get to speak about that game today so it is 100 percent confirmed mm-hmm. it is it is simply the best and we are very very happy to have you back on the podcast again it's been a minute yeah, it's been a while. I mean, it's, it's always nice to be invited back on, but uh, it's it was really exciting to be asked on for Final Fantasy X mm. because that is my favorite Final Fantasy game and also my first Final Fantasy game. Heck Hell yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so tell tell us a little bit about your your history then with Final Fantasy X. Like, what kind of got you into it in the first place, and and how did you end up playing it? Uh, I think I'm showing like kind of how young I am when I say it's probably uh was probably my second game I've ever played. <laughs> like <damn>. I uh... <laughs> totally there. Totally there. <laughs> yeah, it was literally like my second game I've ever played. I I can't remember how old I was when I got my PS2 because that was my also, also my first console. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> but yeah, um it was the second game I ever played, and I was like, this is cool! And because I finally had got, like, a memory card for my mm, PS2, mm. because I was... My mum and dad wasn't very, like, technical. And they were like, huh, you need a memory card? What's a memory card? I was like, I don't know. So I always used to play, like, uh, Spyro, mm. and basically I, I would never c- get to save because I didn't have a memory card. Mm-hmm. So... When I got into Final Fantasy X, I really enjoyed it, so I was like, oh, okay, memory card, so I can actually save. And so I guess you could say it was actually the first game I ever played through and saved and actually enjoyed my time with properly. Mm. But um, yeah, I really liked it. Um, pronounced Titus right, for the f- by the way, yeah. even at like a small age, because <laughs> I don't know, I don't know who Saint T does, but it's not me. <laughs> like, uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, it really kind of made me get into JRPGs and Final Fantasy games in general. I think my next Final Fantasy game was twelve, and I actually genuinely really like twelve. Um, so it kind of got me into Final Fantasy. And I really, really, really loved uh, Titus. But I, I think oh at God. that age I wasn't sure if I wanted to be Titus or like 
be his friend because I really loved him. I think he really spoke to me in a way. He like I really loved how emotional he was. Like even at a young age, I always felt like I wanted to hug Titus because mm. I I remember just thinking, oh, he just needs a hug, and why is his dad so mean and everything like that, and. So whenever people were like, oh, Jack's so amazing, I'm like, no, he's not. What are you talking about? Like, he makes Titus cry. What's going on? And uh, that feeling has not changed, mm. even though I'm, like, 24 now. And I'm just like, yeah, Jack sucks. So, yeah, that's that's my spiel of Final Fantasy X thoughts that I've immediately come to mind. <laughs> I mean, that, this is, is a, that is the most in the shortest span of time on this podcast thus far, of Titus's name being pronounced incorrectly. <laughs> Ken, Ken is, is Team Titus and has I, forced the podcast in this direction, but I'm always happy to I, have a Titus no, officiating it's, it's literally his name! Like it's, it's how they pronounce it in every time it's spoken in this fucking series. And, yeah, like... <gasps> No, that's but people say. What, so, hey, hey, like, hey, 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 hey! What's the name of the Albed party member in this game? The Albed. The Albed party member in this game. What's how do you how do you say her name? Re. Oh. Riku. Yeah. It's Riku, it's Riku right? Yeah. Yeah. Re. Okay. T. The I. It has a certain <laughs> vowel sound to it. If you want, I can call her Riku, if this helps. I, I don't think, think they saying it would be Raikou. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's a Pokemon. Uh, but, but, but that's the thing, is, like, the way language works is that even if the, the vowel is the same, consonant shapes can create different inflections on the vowel. Like... And, and all, all I've ever said is that I've, I've never seen words that create uh, a T from... Ti, they're like uh, I can't think of any of them off of the top of my head. Plenty, of, like that's how Japanese pronunciation of that is usually. Well, that that mm. might be the difference then. That might be where that, we that where actually... we found our problem then is is a difference in the, the phoneticization. It's too early for actually, me. <laughs> actually, now that you've said that, Ken, like that's actually I think you're no, I think you're 100 percent right. Like I'm, I'm not a Japanese here. expert whatsoever, but I used to like learn it. Uh, so that actually might be it. Actually, <laughs> I'm still calling him Titus, but you know you're, you're you are right. <laughs> it's like how people are like, oh, it's supposed to be like GIF. No, it's GIF. I don't care what yeah, people GIF. say. Like, mm. no. Well, here, here's what you say. It's GIF because it's graphical inter whatever. Like it's it starts with a hard G. So like that's what you got to go with. That's that's where you mm-hmm. go. Um, but, but that's interesting. That, that's a cool story about, uh, getting into 10 as well, because I would briefly, before we start talking about our section this week, which is, uh, the mushroom rock, uh, Jose road and all that. Um, I would like to briefly beef with Sony. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks Sony for inventing the memory card and causing confusion for parents and kids alike for so many years because that was also something that we had to tackle mm. in in my household was what is a memory card why do you suddenly need this to save video games 
uh my Nintendo friends never had to deal with that. They never had to deal with losing their golden eye saves, but we had to deal with uh trying to convince our parents that saving in a video game was an important thing to do. So shout outs to Sony for that. <laughs> uh huh. I thought it was amazing. I've been playing Eastward uh for for work purposes. And there's an entire side quest where you get a memory card for the in-game video game that you can play so that you can start saving in it. And it's it's very good. So, <laughs> thanks. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about the Mushroom Rock. Let's talk about the Crusaders. Let's talk about, like, kind of a weird... When we were charting the course for this podcast i think a lot of sections of like many sections of this game had very easily cut up pieces of them to kind of say like you know this is the luca episode this is the besaid episode but when we got to this part of the game specifically this episode and the next episode things get a little weird because the sections either start to come very like fast or they kind of get muddied up one into the other. And and that especially happens near the end of this episode. But even at the start, it's kind of this weird transition from we've had a very discreet, you know, we're being wheeled from one location to another um, to feeling like we're actually starting to set out on a pilgrimage. Like we are mm. running down a road. Like this is the part of the game that I always think of when people are like, Final Fantasy X is linear. Yeah, it is linear. Like, that is the nature of it for, for good reason. It's designed to be that way. But this is the part I always think of because it really is kind of just one long road that you are running down and encountering things along it. Uh, Ken, I know you have beef <laughs> with people calling this linear. But mm. um, it's... More like linear as a derogatory term. Yeah. Um but it's it's interesting, and I think it works because this this early section, like, yeah, we get one more scripted battle out of the way to just kind of, you know, teach us, hey, this is what the new party member, Orin, is good against. So when you start going into battles and you look at the enemy lineup, like, this is why you should put Orin in. Uh, we're still kind of in that stage of the video game <laughs> of mm-hmm. match, match the party member to the enemy. But... Uh, as we go, we start along this road running into so many different like side characters that are going to kind of persist through this middle section of the game. Uh, we see Luzu and God again, obviously. Uh, side characters we've already seen, but we meet um, Master... Oh, I forget his name, not Master. Um, oh, I'm looking through your notes to find oh, his Mikan. name. Makin. Yeah, I get him mixed up with Master Micah all the time. Uh, yeah. Uh, we meet Macon, who's this like historian who's traveling through and who always stops you to tell you about something for a very long period of time. <laughs> we run into the Chocobo Knights, who are awesome. I love the Chocobo Knights. Mm. Um, we have like Lucille, the extremely capable Chocobo Knight, and Elma, her right hand guard, and then Clasco, the like completely incompetent dude, <laughs> just bumbling over everything. I love it. Um, I would play a game about those three. Uh, 
And we also have... Uh, so I'm going to get... I promise we're going to get to the other character first. I do want to mention Shalinda first, though, because she's kind of a small character to start, but she becomes kind of a recurring character in this section. Shalinda is a really cool character. Uh, the, the, like, Yevener who is mad at all the Crusaders for mm. undertaking this operation that we're kind of learning about as we're going down the high road. Um, but the the main highlight of this early high road section is Belgamine because this is a summon battle. Mm. And uh, Ken, I got to ask up front, did you win the summon battle? I did not. And I... I didn't either, and I cannot remember how you're supposed to win it, because I swear to God, I went into this thing fully prepped, yep. and this Ifrit kicked my ass. <laughs> yeah, it, like, the, there is, like, a method to it, because, like, you're supposed to, like, guard, like, every other turn every when it uses certain attacks, and, but I don't know, like, I, I even, like, you know, I had a full overdrive, and I was using flickable spells, and yep. it was, like... It almost like I'm I'm sure there's some way to beat it because like people have and maybe you just have to be leveled to a certain point. Um, but uh, yeah, it, like it felt almost tailored for you to lose. It, it was it felt like one of the fights you had to lose, and that largely probably just comes from I, I might have been not leveled enough to really have Yuna and her Aeons at a point that it would have been feasible for me. Mm-hmm. Amy, Amy, yeah, how do you feel about the the summon the summon duels than Belgamine in this? Uh, yeah, I'm with Ken. I feel like, you know, they kind of want you to lose. I know you, you get, like, a really cool item if you do win it, because uh, when I first started playing it again, I cheesed it a little. I was like, how do you win this? I didn't win, mm. by the way. Like, even reading <laughs> it, I didn't win. And, um, <laughs> so, which says a lot about how I play video games. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I like these battles, I feel like, in a way, because I think Belgian, I she's an ex summoner, mm-hmm. if I'm right, yeah. and she yeah she didn't manage to defeat Sin. So I and I find it in a weird way. I kind of I kind of find it maternal in the sense mm. that she's teaching Yuna the stuff that she went through in a way that helps Yuna and the party overall. So I I kind of like them. Um, I think they're annoying, in the, mm. but like narratively, well, like, I think it's like really nice. But um, yeah, I I completely lost, and um, that was sad because I was like, I also got, I I was just losing all the way through uh, the mushroom high road. I was I was not very good at this <laughs> game, so, but um, yeah, I because I never leveled up my uh, aeons i didn't know that was a thing i had to do when i was first playing so mm. i lost completely mm-hmm. it is yeah, like it, 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 at the very least is interesting like it's something that's different than because like the the me and high road is basically just like a fucking long ass walk through a bunch of random encounters and they can get very monotonous bro is it at least interesting because it's something that's unlike what most fights are in this game um, mm-hmm. And they're like a recurring thing throughout the game as well. So there's like a, a thread that we're going to be following. And it's it's reflective of one of the things that I think, again, makes Final Fantasy X really stand out for me is this um, having these characters that pop up again and mm-hmm. again and the ways that you can kind of subtly influence their story. Uh, Belgamine is one of the ones that I think is not as like well known, but 
she ends up having different dialogues at the very end, depending on how many times you have won or lost against her. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, the I've read the one where if you lose to her every time is actually supposed to be pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. Like like it's a good bit. I've I've always kind of ended up with the you know she didn't win all of them. I didn't lose all of them. You know, met somewhere in the middle uh, sort of conclusion to it, but. Um, she ends up like, like Amy said, being this really interesting character that kind of carries through, through the story and, and provides Yuna this interesting touch point because again, uh, this is Titus's story, but it is also really Yuna's story. And this is where they start to set up some of the signposts for that. And Mm. I, I really do feel like this is us another section of the game where Yuna gets to shine as much as Titus does. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and, and I just like that going back to it now, I'm seeing so many ways in which they kept Yuna's story just as much at the forefront. Mm-hmm. Um, not to like draw a mean comparison, but this is a game I didn't like. So, uh, I am Setsuna had a kind of similar setup to this game. Uh, one that was so mm-hmm. similar that I was like, that's kind of weird. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, Although with one very, very different change, but even then they kind of toss that change away uh, at the beginning. It's it's the same setup, but imagine if Titus was an assassin who had been sent to kill Yuna mm. and then got there and learned the big secret of like what the pilgrimage was right away at the beginning of the game and was like, okay, I'll just hang around and make sure that happens uh, and then we'll all be right as rain. that's the story of i am setsuna (laughs) um very weird story but uh that was that was kind of the problem that that game had was it just never established the characters well enough for me and didn't create reasons for you to want to like continue to see the pilgrimage through or continue to see these characters grow uh and and 10 in in a game that we're still surprisingly low in the hour count on like it's we've probably played about eight hours, 10 hours of game at this point. Um, we're seeing a lot of really cool developments and a lot mm. of really good character moments already. So uh, yeah. still, still a good RPG, <laughs> still a very good RPG. <laughs> so good. Um, did Ken, did you kick the blitz ball? I did. Yeah. <laughs> Great to that, that kid, but he shouldn't put blitz balls in the middle of the road where a blitz ball player could kick them. This is my opinion. <laughs> That's the start of something that will come to fruition much, much further down the line for for Titus. <laughs> the karma will come back around for him for kicking random blitz balls. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about that until I just read Ken's note. Oh, I can't. I don't think I kicked it. But man, no, I can't even remember what comes around after that. Make interesting i will have to keep on listening to find out i cannot remember whatsoever okay oh, that sounds cool it'll it'll be a long while down the road because <laughs> it's pretty much one of the last things we'll cover on this podcast once we're through we have to get through 10 and 10 to and eternal calm and then we'll get into some of the side stories and and kind of like the extended fiction and that's when this will finally come back around but it's okay, so okay. worth it just put a big old pin in that listener <laughs> titus kicking random blitz balls <laughs> um 
God, this series is so dumb and good. <laughs> um, yeah, don't, I'm getting there. Don't worry. Well, we started uh, to go ahead, so I wanted to make I, sure that we. Go I, I I had a pin in it myself. Don't worry. Uh, so yeah, th- those are all kind of the main uh, side characters that we run into on this high road. Uh, but we do run into some more like either minor characters that are basically just walking along the high road. And this is something else I wanted to shout out real quick before we get to like the big story part that Ken was just passive aggressively highlighting in the Google doc for me. (laughs) But uh, one of the things I like about this section of the game is that you can talk to people on the high road Mm -hmm. uh, and they will kind of give you things to be like, Hey, you know, take this, make good use of this on the pilgrimage and all that. And not only does that like provide a good influx of items, especially in an area that's pretty combat heavy and you don't have a lot of like there's there's one shop halfway through this and then another shop at the end of it, but it feels like I got so much of an influx of items from just like mm. casual people walking by that I never even shopped in this section. Um but it it just really reinforces that idea of like everyone in Spira is supporting the pilgrimage, supporting the summoners. Uh, and that kind of comes to a head with the uh, the mother daughter duo that we meet at one point uh, where they are praying. And the daughter asks Yuna if she's going to bring the calm and, and the bombs like we're really looking forward to another calm. It's been, you know, so long uh, and, and we just really are looking forward to that again so thank you so much uh which is you know then titus not knowing a a damn thing in the world (laughs) is like what (laughs) and also having you know no tact (laughs) all the all the social grace of a bull in a china shop uh is like what's the calm (laughs) like what what could that be i don't understand context clues (laughs) and Uh, They all explain to him that the calm is what they call it when Sin uh, is dead. And that's when they finally kind of have to, like, explain to Titus, yes, Sin can be defeated by the final summoning, but Sin will come back. Like, Mm -hmm. even if Sin dies, Sin does come back. And so they just kind of, the, the summoner's pilgrimage is about creating moments in time where sin is not around you know killing everyone uh and that's really what a summoner's job is is bringing the calm as they call it Mm -hmm. um again would have been a great time to tell titus what's really going on but (laughs) (sighs) yeah the game really tries so hard to be like anyway let's carry on Mm. and and like it's it's kind of funny (laughs) yeah it it really comes to a head at this point in the, like in on the Mannheim road because there are like multiple points where Jesus is like really just putting his foot in his mouth when he's just talking mm. away about like his vision of how this is going to turn out and like nobody really wants to say out loud why what he's saying can't happen or can't happen the way he wants it to um but also there's a point where like you know just says like it's worth it like it, like even if it is going to be this recurring thing that we're going to have to deal with in Spira like the fight is worth that very like that short moment in time where uh, i think teams like even said something like if, if there can be a short moment in time where people can go to bed without having to worry about what's going to happen the next day then it's worth it mm-hmm. yeah and i feel that that ends up in this section like really giving you an idea 
of what Yuna is about, because I do feel like this is also a section as I played back through it now, like this is a part of the game where Yuna has a lot of her longstanding worldviews challenged Mm -hmm. uh, for the first time. And she kind of has to start to cope with the fact that, you know, there, there are things that you have never questioned in your life before. There are like pieces of your life that, that you've devoted your entire being to at this point. And you've never really asked questions about why they happen this way or why these things are the way they are. And now that Titus is here again with absolutely zero tact and social grace and just asking questions all the time, it, it works out because now, you know, you're starting to wonder, Hey, why are things this way? Why, why do we act this way about this thing? But the one thing that kind of keeps, you know, solid throughout all of this is that, she sees herself as, you know, being a light for the people that, that mm. she is. And, and I think that's maybe one of the more interesting parts of Yuna's journey uh, is how she goes from kind of being, you know, a, a willing martyr for the people to being like a willing willing champion for the people. Mm. You know, be, be someone who's strong enough to fight for people without, you know, having to give everything you are for them Mm -hmm. uh, is kind Mm -hmm. of what Yuna's journey is in this game in in, in some respects. And uh, I dig that we start to see the seeds of that get planted here. Uh, Yeah. Anyways, this, this game hits different after you've played it the, the, you know, dozenth time and you're much older. Uh, Mm -hmm. And when we get to some of the Jack stuff later too, that's, Oh boy. (laughs) context i did not pick up on as a kid but uh yeah so we we continue on down the high road uh running along the linear path uh eventually eventually um oh we should make a note so i mentioned shalinda earlier um interesting character i think she provides an interesting bit of backstory about kind of the church and yevin and all that um kind of what people who believe strongly in Yevon end up kind of becoming and, and, you know, how they find strength in that, but also end up feeling deceived by it. Uh, but the thing she's arguing with a crusader about uh, is that this, this operation that we keep hearing about as we're moving along up the high road, Operation Mien, uh, is going to involve Machina, which, as we all know, is yes. bad. So Mach- bad. Machines yep. bad. Everyone in Spira watched Wally when they were younger, and they were mm. like, "Can't have that happen." <laughs> <laughs> that's that's uh. bad. Uh, so <laughs> we uh, we hear them arguing, and the Crusaders just like, "Okay, you know what? I'm just I'm gonna go do it. Uh, I'm gonna go use the Machina." And and Orin kind of provides a little bit of interesting uh color to this because he's like look let them use whatever they want because it's not gonna stop sin like so who cares like they're going to fail anyways let them fail however they want do you do you really honestly give a shit Mm -hmm. and Mm uh well we'll pick back up on that later with a very certain character who delivers what might be one of my favorite bits of dialogue in the game it really was I did not expect to love a certain blue-haired character as much as I did this time around, but man, uh, mm. oh, he's, he's got some good bits here. Um, 
But we get to pick back up on everybody's favorite plot thread now because we get to a little uh, place where we can rest, where everyone can rest their weary heads after a long day on the Mian High Road and fighting Aeons and stuff like that. Uh, and Waka's like, no, nah, I'm not going in there. It's an owl bed shop. <laughs> <laughs> Here comes Waka's racism again, um, which obviously makes everybody uncomfortable uh, because uh, Waka starts going off about how Albed are bad and, and Machina are evil and we can't go in there. Back in Luca, Albed kidnapped Yuna. We can't do that. And just, the Albed, you know, as an entire yep. <laughs> race kidnapped Yuna. <laughs> and Oren delivers the greatest put down where he's just like, huh, wonder where her guardians were. Ooh. Dead silence. Shut up, Whacker. Love it. Love it. Just dunk that dude. And then uh, Walk is like, I'm not even tired. And Oren's like, well, I am. And walks in. And God, if you don't love Oren yet, what are you even doing? (laughs) Oren's the best. (laughs) He's so good. Uh, so yeah, it's, we, we get another hit of this, uh, before we briefly go into another good little scene between Titus and Yuno, where they're watching the sunset. And this is the one where we, we got to talk about the, the put in the foot in the mouth and all that. Uh, cause this is a whole section where, uh, Titus and Yuno are just kind of talking about, you know, life and what they're going to do. And Titus is already thinking about the future, which is kind of bold, but (laughs) he brings up the idea that like, Oh, well, if you can beat sin once, you can probably do it again. Just beat sin again. Why would you not be able to beat Mm. sin again? You know, (laughs) 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 so good. This is, it's the moment. Like, this is the part where I get frustrated where I'm like, this is really someone should have told him really Yuna should have told him at this point. It's not like they aren't keeping secrets from each other because Titus is still not told, you know, what Oren told him back in Luca. And as we will see at the very end of this whole set, like section, uh, he's basically advised to not do that. Like, Hey, mm-hmm. don't, don't mess around with that, uh, for a very interesting reason. But, uh, it's yeah i do kind of get annoyed with this part every time we get to it because it is the moment where i'm like man yuna really makes a conscious decision here to not say anything and not you know like break it to titus how did you feel ken well i I think i'm i'm still on board with the story not making that point yet because like we like this this conversation is like the spark that's going to make yuna start questioning literally anything it's not even like She's questioning, you know, is this how we have to defeat sin? Is this the way that Yevon has taught everyone to be? Is this all right? Is this proper? She, right now, the, she's specifically focused on one part of the belief that she has held, because she just brings it up, like, it was Machina that bad. And that's when she says, like, I've never really questioned it, but now that you're asking, now I don't really know. Like, she's... I think these characters realize, like, this kid's questioning everything, and... If he knows that, he's going to question that. And we have been indoctrinated our entire lives. I think this is how things have to be. Mm. And that painful, like, argument that we're going to have to have the second he knows is going to drudge up all these things that we are trying to all just silently live with and deal with here. And so 
I think, like, yeah, like, this this would have been a great time to tell him, but I also think, like, you're talking about a group of characters, maybe, with, like, with the exception of Oren, who still earnestly believes that this is how it has to be and doesn't think the fight with somebody that doesn't understand, that is, like, brand new to this world, like, doesn't think that the fight with that person is going to be worth it. It's going to be worth the, the struggle, the turmoil that it's going to suddenly throw into the group, who is, despite Titus's questions, fairly unified at this point. Mm-hmm. I, I guess that's fair. A- Amy, how do you feel about this sort of, like, not telling Titus that happens in this game? Um, I think, you know, from a player's perspective who's played it before, I find it amusing. But <laughs> I agree with Kenna. I think, you know, everyone, I like, minus Oren, has been brought up in a world where it's totally opposite to Titus in a way because Titus is like um he's always been told off for being emotional and questioning things and he's never really like every time he's like has an outburst or he just shows emotion in any way and he's like willing to like question things everyone's kind of like well why are why aren't why aren't you more like Jack like why don't mm. why don't you just get the job done whereas and I think Jack's worldview works really well with the characters you meet in Spira because they're pretty much told to just get the job done like yeah there's going to be pain but it's going to be worth it because you're going to bring sin down you're going to make everyone else happy you've just got to shut yourself down in a way so Mm. i think i think it fits that titus is so like despite everyone telling him to be quiet and just to be like just get just get through the day everyone wants him to do done he's very much questions everything and i think that with yuna in particular like uh, ken said with him questioning her it's definitely a part of her is kind of being brought out from the shell of what she's been taught and I think that's such an intriguing part of the game in comparison to because Titus is definitely an anomaly and mm. so I feel as though it kind of works like like I said like as a player it's funny but uh, for Titus and for Yuna, who's very much still been brought up in a society that wants her just to bring peace and doesn't really want her her, but wants what she can do for mm. them, it kind of fits. And it makes sense why she probably wouldn't want to kind of break Titus's fantasy in a way. Because I, f- I think even now, I think she wants to protect him mm. in a strange mm. way. Even though he's not part of the the world that they live in, she still very much wants to protect him. I I find it sweet, but also like I I do share your frustration. I wish they told him, but it kind of makes sense for me anyway. I I don't necessarily think I, I want to be clear that I don't I don't want like this to be like oh they should have just told him, but this is like the frustration I think you can kind of feel mm-hmm. and. It almost makes me want to play this game again for the first time and see if I feel that same tension there because even just seeing this cutscene play out, it really does feel like Titus is going on about some fantasy and Yuna is kind of sitting there and, you know, playing along and laughing and stuff like that. But it does feel like she's kind of off in a different world thinking about something else the whole time, uh, mm-hmm. which we t- we touch on with 
her kind of explaining what the final Aeon is. It's it's the final summoning. Uh, after they've gone through the whole pilgrimage, uh, they will go to the final uh, place to get the final summoning, which is uh, at the world's edge, essentially, uh, in Xanarkand, which is not played up for, like, the dun-dun-dun that I kind of wish it was, because the thing that stuck out at me this time around is... Oh, so Yuna has kept talking to Titus and been like, yeah, take me to Xanarkand and all that. Whereas, like, she knows what Xanarkand really is. Like, she knows what Xanarkand should be, you know, mm-hmm. it, what, what everyone else has said it is. Which Orin comes in and confirms is, like, it's the ruins of a city destroyed a thousand years ago. And we're going to see it for ourselves soon enough. Go back inside. Stop talking out here. We're all trying to sleep. Shut up with your dumb blitz ball metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's... This part is always, like, it's kind of wild to me, but it does reinforce, like, what Ken has been talking about with Yuna. Like, the fact that she is she believes in people um, and is is willing to hear them out. And is, like, we get several moments throughout the section where... We do have Yuna, like, characters recognizing that Yuna believes the best in people and believes Mm -hmm. people when they tell her things, even if they could be, like, world-shatteringly, you know, difficult to process. Um, Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's it's a weird moment where I was like, oh, like, she knows that Xanarkin will probably be ruins, but she still believes that Titus's Xanarkin exists. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Little interesting, little interesting nugget to end that whole sequence on, while they're also building up the budding romance of these characters or whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, <laughs> so uh, we wake up the next morning. I should mention, by the way, that there is a monster at one point that gets mentioned that's messing with the chocobos that mm. the chocobo knights had told us about. That was something we should have put a pin in, but it's. It we're we're here. Of, you don't, no need to put a pen in it. We're already here. Yeah, it's it's a thing that pops up, and and it, it does kind of feel like oh, we had a really cool idea for a boss and did not know where we were gonna put it. So here's the cool boss that we just like threw in here real quick. Uh, before we run outside to deal with that boss, we do talk to Rin, who owns all of these little travel uh, stopovers uh, that that we run into. Uh, he teaches us about Albed primers, which. If you've been picking them up now, you're probably on like nine or ten at this point. So it feels a little late in the game to yeah. get an Albed Primer Primer. But, uh, you know, we get it anyways. Um, I do like. Thanks, Ren. Yep. You're, yeah. you're, you're a little late, Ren, but. I, I do like first the bit where Titus tries to speak Albed back and just okay. absolutely like does not get it right whatsoever um but he also uh rin makes the little note of hey you know just be careful where you speak albed and in my mind i was like yeah you know like if waka's in the party maybe don't speak Mm. (laughs) um but we hear scream outside we run outside and it's the chocobo eater um it's this fight is weird playing it again now because I remember as a kid the whole thing was you know like hit it and they'll fall off the cliff and all that 
um i just killed it like yeah. I, I don't know i I'm just not, i'm not sure how you can push it off but i know that's like a possibility um yeah it's uh i, th- I think it's cool because like it is like this this fight for space on the because like it can also push you off um mm-hmm. and i don't think that i think that's like a i don't think it's a game over i think there's like a different sequence of events that happens there um yeah, I got I got slam dunked off that cliff, but no. I completely forgot. <laughs> and it just takes you to the mushroom rock road, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's been a while since I did that, but it, yeah. It... Sorry, can't. Uh, I, I, I think the consequence of it is like you can't ride chocobos on the main high road because it obviously eats them. Because that was like the reward if you do just beat it. Um, is that like you can basically go the rest of the way through the high road on a chocobo. Um. And it's much faster. You get this nice swing arrangement of the chocobo theme. Uh, but yeah, I don't. I think when I like the very first time I played it when I was a kid, I think I did end up getting pushed off as well and did not recognize the consequences of that that at the time. But I kept like pushing it to the edge and like it would fall down, but it wouldn't fall off the cliff. So I didn't. I don't really know how that plays out, and I'm not really sure what you have to do to like make that happen. It has those moves where it can like clothesline the party to push them back. Yeah. Which is, it was on the edge for me and then did that. And so I was just like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm just going to hit this thing and kill it. Maybe if you, maybe if you hit it with like less damaging abilities or something. But this is also a part of the game where I started to feel very leveled for, for mm. where I was at. Yeah. Like, I, so I will say by the end part of this, there's a character that you get that is supposed to be like super powerful because he has a higher level of magic than you are supposed to. Except I was literally on the spot with Lulu, like trying to farm ability spheres to unlock that second tier of magic by the time I got there. Like that was the level mm-hmm. of disparity I'm at uh, where I think I'm a bit over leveled for, for what we're doing. And there's mm-hmm. a reason for that. Uh, it's because I forgot that you could ride the chocobos across the the second part oh. of me and high road. So I ended <laughs> up doing all those random battles. And yeah, I guess I got super leveled in the process. Uh, and yeah, my, my sphere grid is, is pretty filled out. Although I might uh, at some point head back to an area at the very end of this because I am having trouble getting ability spheres. <laughs> Mm. Uh, they are very few and far between for me right now, but there is an enemy, uh, the basilisks that you start encountering near the end of this whole section we're talking about, uh, the drop ability spheres when you beat them. And so I think I need to go back and, and fight some of those and farm up some ability spheres. Uh, cause we're kind of at that part of the game where it becomes an RPG, right? Like it's, it's going to feel a lot more like an RPG now where, there might be sections where we're going to have to grind a little bit. Mm. Um, I know Mount Gagazette was one area every time I play where I have to spend a little bit of time just leveling up and, and getting higher level stuff. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting to see some of that rear its head again. Um, anyways, whether we hoof it or, or we fall down and, and run along the chasm or we, uh, ride a chocobo like a smart person (laughs) we get to the end of the high road and we run into a roadblock where the crusaders and the all bad that they're working with are kind of uh getting everything set up for this big operation they're like we're not letting anyone pass 
and we run into Donna again, the the mean summoner, the mean girl summoner, and her one guardian, uh, Bar- Bortello, Bartello, 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 I think. Yeah, uh, there's is is it innuendo is what the word I'm looking for, where she's like they're they're trying to get through, and they're like we're not gonna let you through, and she's like. You know, she sees you come up and she goes, oh, they're not letting summoners through, so we won't be able to do anything after all. Uh, I'm going to go take a nap, I guess. Bartello, come. And they, like, run off together, <laughs> like, very, very tee-hee-hee-hee-hee. And I was like, wait, was that, like, a euphemism? Like, what what happened just now? Uh, so I don't know, but Final Fantasy X uh maybe implying some things about the relationship between uh a summoner and her guardian in that one moment where i was like okay you know what go go ahead donna you go go off then you know Mm. you're on your pilgrimage have a little bit of fun on the side you know Mm. (laughs) um but that was a really weird moment where again you want to talk about things that i maybe didn't pick up on Mm. as a kid playing through this game where i was like oh (laughs) that was okay well then yeah I I was the same, especially with Donna. There's a lot of stuff that I didn't pick up when I was a kid. Like, the way she's dressed in comparison to, like, Yuna, I guess. And it feels weird, because it feels like they're pitting Yuna against Donna. And I'm just like, I don't care if she's wearing a thong Mm. with her summoner's outfit. (laughs) Just let her do what she wants, game. I don't care. Like, Mm. yeah, it's weird playing it again uh, since I was a kid. Because I think as a kid I didn't like Donna, because she was mean. But now I'm just like... Ah, eh, she's mean, but whatever. <laughs> like she, she doesn't have that much of depth that I remember. Mm. So it's a shame. I want to. Uh, you. What? Sorry. No, you go ahead. Sorry. So, because because basically you've got other summoner characters. I think you meet, and I, you know they've got more depth, and then there's just Donna, who's just used as a butt of the joke and it's mm. sad because I thought I feel like she definitely deserved more mm. I feel like she and Martello actually both like I find their relationship more compelling in 10-2 where they are like two diametrically opposed people dealing with the fallout of this universe and that's kind of like their thing through that game um, mm-hmm. where is yeah like here she's just like periodically like the mean girl and then and there is something that are like them kind of showing that, like, summoners don't have to be one thing, I guess. Like, that Yuna has this, like, idea of who she's supposed to be, and a lot of that probably comes from, like, being Brasco's daughter, being, like, in the very, uh, like, traditional setting of Spira. And, like, Donna is, I guess, just, you know, willing to be something a little bit different, something that is not... Like, it's still hoping to accomplish the same thing, still being on the same sort of, like, moral grounds with one another in terms of, like, what they're trying to accomplish, but... Uh, is not necessarily ascribing to a lot of the same sort of uh, tradition and ways that I guess that people are kind of like raised to think this is supposed to be done. <laughs> I think the other interesting part of it that just kind of the thing that I keep thinking about is so they don't everybody doesn't really pin their hopes on one summoner mm-hmm. like there there are a bunch of summoners all going around and garnering different levels of popularity and. Um, weirdly enough, it almost feels like an idol type situation, which is funny considering where Ten Two ends up going mm. with the story and stuff. <laughs> yeah. But um, it does kind of feel that way, where it's like they prop up these people to be these not just you know 
the the summoners, but to be these uh, idols of their own hopes and dreams and stuff like that. They're they're people that uh, keep the people of spirit going through all these these tough moments, and I feel like that does sort of come to a head in Operation Mien and what Yuna kind of has to cope with in this section and. Yeah, seeing Donna take a different approach to it is kind of interesting because it is like, what if Yuna didn't care so much about being, you know, a, a symbol to the people? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. clearly Donna does not. Donna's right. like, I'm on the pilgrimage. Like, this is what I'm doing. And I'm going to get it done through, you know, blood, sweat, and tears out here. She's also very, like, she's got a chip on her shoulder about Yuna and, you know, having the lineage of Braska and all that. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas Donna feels very much like I'm getting it done by myself. I've got my one guardian. Um, and I, I do kind of dig her story. I'm looking forward to 10 to when we get to delve more into that mm-hmm. stuff. But um, yeah, I, I like a lot of the side characters in 10. Uh, I think they mm-hmm. all kind of end up informing uh, interesting aspects of each character. Like, Gata and Luzu, who are still here, still somehow, after all this time, their journeys have just synced up perfectly. Um, and we see them once again. Uh, they're like, yeah, we're, we've got some captured fiends here that we've been wheeling along in a cart, and we're on our way to Operation Mien. We're doing great. Uh, they're going to use Sin Spawn to lure Sin into a trap in, in this like big... Uh, beach cove area. Um, it's it's a beach that makes things old, so they're gonna age sin <laughs> until it dies. <laughs> they found they found the old beach. Um, but that's that's a topical movie reference for you here on Normandy FM. <laughs> uh, but of course, who else shows up but Seymour and his his Guado henchmen and the most evil of evil music Mm -hmm. in case you had any doubt that (laughs) seymour is evil here comes basically the imperial march (laughs) (laughs) it has the same effect i suppose yeah yeah (laughs) like they might as well just be playing the dun 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 dun, dun. like that's oh um and so he he shows up and uh he's like oh you're having trouble getting in here i got you hey yuna's on the list get her through to the command center like throws his weight around a little bit and is like don't worry yuna i got you and meanwhile titus is like i don't like this guy Mm. (laughs) Uh, he's making yuna flustered Um, titus is the only one that can hear the music when he comes up everyone else is just like here's dead silence it's like oh god is this music (laughs) non-diegetic Um, yeah, so Seymour, um, oh man, we really get to dive into Seymour here. I'm very, very, very much looking forward to this because we, we get this section here after we, we get in and we see all the, the crusaders and the all beds setting all their stuff up. And we do kind of get this, uh, backstory that the crusaders are forsaken by Yevon, essentially. The church is supposed to officially dis- disapprove of what they're doing because uh, they're using Machina, they're messing around with stuff that they shouldn't be messing around with. Uh, and Seymour is like, you know, I'm not here as a representative of the church. I'm here as a 
denizen of Spira, and I wish them well on their endeavor because even though they're doing things that the church may not like, they're clearly working towards the same goal that everyone else in Spira wants. And they has he has this great line where Yawaka's like, how are you supposed to stand there and be cool with everything you're seeing when it's against everything you've ever been taught? And Seymour's like, pretend you don't see it. Mm. <laughs> and uh, Waka's like, well, I don't think a maester should say that. He's like, pretend I didn't say it then. And walks off. And I was just like, damn, that is, oh, Seymour, good character. It's a great yeah. line. <laughs> yeah. It, it gets into a lot of, like, not even just for, like, Spira's problems, but it is, like, representative of, of a lot of problems with, like, real world religion where, like, there are exceptions constantly made when it benefits mm-hmm. people that are often willing to use that same belief system to oppress other people. And mm-hmm. it also gets to the point, because, like, Yuna, after having her talk with Yudas, is kind of, like, kind of coming around to that idea that, like, as long as it is in the pursuit of destroying sin, it should, like, we should be willing to use whatever means possible. Which, like, Waka is just basically, like, losing his goddamn mind this entire point because he is so up the ass of this and all of this and is unwilling to see anything else. That's, like, it's the root of his racism as well. Like, you know, there's a point later where um, Lulu is going to point out that, like, Chepu left the sword behind because he was using mm-hmm. Machina. But then Waka's like, no, that's not it. I just, this goes against the teachings of Yevon. And, like, you know, really, be, I mean, you know, there's probably a little column A, column B in that, but... Uh, just, like, dealing with, like, the nuance of all of these things, like, not even just, like, clearly, like, something is, is amiss here in terms of this universe's belief system, but also this is how religion is weaponized and often twisted to mean certain things for different people depending on cer- different circumstances, whatever it benefits them, but still allows them to oppress people in other ways, so. It's different when you're in your fucking 20s. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, it hit different back then, too, for me mm. going like, oh, you know, there are a lot of things about all this I've never really asked questions about. Mm. <laughs> Amy, how do you feel about Seymour? Um, weirdly enough, I like Seymour. It's, it's, like, he's obviously a creep, but mm. also I, it's like, he's effectively very good at PR, and, uh, <laughs> which, I, which I think, which I think sums up like the holy Yevon and the Meis- Meisters and everything, they're very all very good at PR. Mm-hmm. And um, this is not <laughs> everyone who I, I'm friends with who's part of PR. I'm not saying you're a terrible <laughs> person, <laughs> bad at your job. <laughs> but like, Seymour's just very much like I like him as a character, and I think he's a very effective villain because he comes from like not a poor like side of his family or anything like but he he comes from small beginnings and he works his way up to become a very powerful figure and i find him to go like i find him as a match against Hyde is very interesting but i just find him like a fascinating character anyway because i i can't really repeat what ken said because i 100% agree with what mm. uh, ken said but like i think He's he's basically shows you what good PR mm. can be, yeah, <laughs> and how much it kind of rankles like people who aren't in that same system, like Waka, who's like, oh well, you shouldn't be saying this, and Simo's like, well, 
I just did. I'm just pretend. Whatever you need to. Yeah. Whatever gets tell you yourself. through it, buddy. Yeah, basically, whatever you need to tell yourself to get through it, just do it, and that's it. I just really like, I really like Seymour. Like, I hate going against him, like, as a player. He's fucking annoying, Mm. but, like, as a character, he's interesting, and I kind of felt sorry for him throughout the rest of the game, which is spoiler territory, so I won't say anything, but I do kind of feel sorry for him, even though he's kind of a dick at the same Mm. time. But yeah, I find him intriguing, and he's definitely one of my favorite Final Fantasy villains. Mm. Yeah, the way he ends up serving as as a villain, uh, specifically like a villain for Yuna to deal with, rather than uh, a villain for for Titus to deal with, is is really cool. And uh, yeah, he he just oh. Ugh. That every time that music plays and he's oh something bad's happening, Seymour doing more bad <laughs> stuff. Uh, and I feel like he sort of sets the table for Master Keenock in this and all the other stuff that we're going to learn about the church and uh, maybe even why Operation Meehan is not a good thing um, or or was a cover up, mm. a, <laughs> a psyop like that's. Um, there's there's a line in here that I don't think I ever really contextualized uh, at the very end uh, when I played through it when I was younger and now hearing it again I was like oh 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 this like recontextualizes the whole operation now okay um, anyways uh, we head further in uh, through a bunch of random battles and like shifting platforms and stuff this is not a very well defended command center Mm. there are like dragon monsters and like spiritual beings just Mm. all over the place that we have to (laughs) to murder how did they get through your defenses yeah yeah so so after we get through all these monsters in this extremely poorly defended command center, uh, we run into Luzu and Gata once again, and finally we get something to really work with with them here, because I feel like they've just kind of been popping up as like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this story, like two just very bumbling dudes off on their crusader adventures. Um, when we run into them here, they're arguing about their orders. And Luzu uh, is basically like, look, Gata, you're guarding the command center. That's important. You should do your orders. Like, that's how this works. Uh, and Gata storms off because Gata is the younger one and obviously wants to be heroic and fight on the beach. And I came here to fight sin, sir, and all that, <laughs> which is another great line in a video game filled with really great voice actor (laughs) deliveries. Um, That's, that's another one that's up there for me. Um, But he storms off and then we get to confront Luzu uh, because Luzu's got something to mention about uh, Chapu and Lulu is like, wait, no, don't. And Waka's like, no, I want to hear this. Um, Luzu was the one who convinced Chapu to enlist. Um, and he apologizes to Waka for this. Um, and he basically, you know, after Waka sucker punches the bejesus out of him, um, 
he he tells he says that he had already told Lulu before and that like oh Lulu hit him too but there's a line here that I think really emphasizes the relationship that's been going on through all these years um, which is uh, Waka reveals that Chapu had always been saying that he would propose to Lulu if they ever won the the Blitzball Cup uh, and then Luzu quotes chapu and saying being with your girl is good but keeping sin far away from her is better um this is a real good scene this scene hits Mm -hmm. in a way i didn't expect it to coming around again because honestly the whole luzu goddess stuff um is is kind of minor on the grand scale of things but i think that's why it works so well here is the sudden revelation that these characters that have been kind of moving alongside you throughout this whole journey are not just randos they're just kind of there for you know like oh look at the crusaders and and they're up to stuff and they've got this weird dynamic of old you know learned wise dude and young upstart kid and they're always going to be at odds with each other but you know it's i i kind of just saw them as another side character pairing for a long Mm -hmm. time and then seeing them not only have some interesting dynamics between them that aren't just comedic but uh having it turn into oh we're going to comment back on the waka lulu chapu thing and in a way that honestly really hits like that that bit about you know being with your girl is good but keeping sin far away from her is better that one kind of hit that that kind of gut punched me a little mm-hmm. bit when i was watching this mm-hmm. when i was playing watching the cutscene or whatever but uh it's it i i don't know the scene hits different especially when you know what the outcome that's coming up ahead is. And I mean, before we talk about the scene, uh, it, it ends with Luzu going off to get ready to fight. Cause he's going to be fighting on the front lines and Waka's like, Hey, don't die. So I can, um, and Luzu's like, so you can hit me some more. And he's like, yeah, lots, lots more. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Yuna tries to stop him. And, and Oren's like, he's already chosen his path as you did when you became a summoner. And Yuna kind of like is, is frustrated with that, but gets out of, uh, Luzu's way and and Titus notes in the narration like I wouldn't understand why she did that until much later uh, you know why she did what she did but the scene is a lot in, in a way that like I think it's completely missable too mm-hmm. like you you could potentially just not see it at all and honestly it's a really really good story moment so I, mm. I, I don't know Ken how'd you feel here uh <laughs> the the funny thing is about the the plot line of Shefu and Lulu and Waka, um, it takes a whole different context when you play Final Fantasy X two in a way that I don't think is for the better because now I'm kind of just weirded out by a lot of this relationship yeah. all of a sudden, and that's something that I've mm-hmm. really not found a satisfactory answer for myself for, and maybe I will as we get through the game more, um, and like I said, like I I played these replayed these games recently, it was like last year, so like. I don't know if I'm going to get a satisfactory answer on that front. But, it, like, it, it, like, devoid of all that context, it is very meaningful. Like, it, it, and it also felt like from a... It was development of a plot point I thought was kind of wrapped up in Luca. And so now it was just like, oh, there's, there's, new, there's new stuff here for us to contend with. And new layers of this relationship and reasonings that, like, Waka maybe was not... I don't know, sympathetic towards, I guess, at the time. Because, like, he still, for the longest time, viewed a lot of Shepu's leaving as, like, you know, the sacrilegious betrayal, more or less, 
And um, here it's like, you know, you get just kind of like the bare bones of like what he actually, like for a character that doesn't get to speak for himself, to gets to say like, I did it. And it kind of like embodies this whole uh, operation as well. It's like, we do what we have to, to keep Finn at bay for as long as possible for the real solution to come in. And for, mm. you know, and, and th- we do it for these people, even if it means going against the things that we've been taught and going against our asshole racist brother. Um, so yeah, it, it's a good scene. It's a very good scene. Amy, how do you feel about Luzu and Gata and, and all this stuff coming together? Um, like you said, uh, they're introduced to us in a way that's very comedic, and uh, like it's they still seem to be like almost like young men just basically doing what they have to do to try and fight for Spira. Mm-hmm. So, for them to be introduced in such a way and tell us more about Chapu and Lulu and Wacker and how that affects their relationship, it it feel felt like a shift towards. Well, you kind of know what's going to happen for uh, both of these two characters, but with like I'm with Ken in the se- in the same way that with Ten Two, when you find out what happens with Lulu and Wacker's relationship and other, it kind of feels like I don't know. I'm not a huge fan of that relationship, mm. so maybe I'm a little bit biased. But I was like, okay, well, obviously it's a very good scene. I really do like the scene. Like, I remember, well, even you describing the scene, it gave me a little shiver because it was just such a good scene in the mm-hmm. way that it showed how Chapu, who, in my opinion, feels like a much stronger character than Wacker, which feels weird because he's dead, mm-hmm. but it shows how much Chapu is willing to fight for the people he loves mm-hmm. and is goes against teaching which has been pretty much put into him since the day he was born and I really like Chapu as a character in a weird way like we never really see him if I remember right I know we see him like maybe in one or two cutscenes but it felt really mon- monumental to me and like I feel like uh, Udo and Gaia they're interesting characters but they they act more of a way to show how important Chapu and Lulu were to one another, and Wacko also. So they're kind of more like Condoids uh, to me. To me, but I I enjoyed the scene, and I think that it adds a lot. I didn't know it was missable though. Mm. That's interesting. Had no clue it was missable. Yeah, because it's it's wow. like off on the side. Like there's the lift that takes you up to the command center, and I think you have to like follow gotta down that little like side path to where luzu is to get this scene so i think it i i could be wrong maybe you have to but it, it's like you could probably use that elevator and just keep running if not but then i wonder mm-hmm. if like gotta doesn't show up at the command center later if you don't do that i don't know but um yeah i i think it is like i think you could walk past it i'm not sure maybe i'm wrong about that but it does seem like it's in a way where I always ran to it because I was like, oh, there's that scene. I got to go see it. But uh, maybe, maybe uh, you could miss it. I'm not sure. But um, to your point about Chapu, that's kind of the thing that really hits here for me and, and what really like 
is interesting to me about Waka's character is we have a moment after this where after you go up the lift, you see a bunch of uh, Machina cannons and stuff, and Waka gets mad and kicks them and, and messes his foot up because he's dumb. Uh, and, and, you know, he's getting all angry, and, and Lulu mentions, like, Chapu left the sword behind to fight with Machina weapons instead. Um, and Waka's like, it's got nothing to do with it. It's all about the teachings and stuff like that. And it just really, like, these, these scenes highlight kind of the strangeness of this triangle to me because Ken, I'm I'm like very sure that I'm right that Chapu was the younger brother, Mm -hmm. correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like Waka is the older one and yet he's the one who feels way more emotionally immature, Mm -hmm. like way like unsure of himself. He's kind of like he's kind of like a like like a beach bum older brother that you know, was really good at playing Blitzball and just kind of hung around and played Blitzball was like, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. I'll just play Blitzball. And uh, then, you know, the younger brother dies and all of a sudden he's like, oh, things have happened. Yeah, life life just happened. And, you know, obviously he's been into the teachings of Yevon all this time, but now this like radicalizes him in a way and uh, he decides to become a guardian uh, and and go with Yuna, and you know Lulu kind of sees through a lot of this bullshit that that Waka's building up around him. Um, and and Waka like throughout this game does have to contend with the fact that not only are his internalized teachings, you know, bad and wrong and misguided, but also that he himself has not really been defined by anything other than just being pissed about Chapu's death. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, you know, by the time we get to 10, two, I'm going to be interested to see how I feel about Waka as a character, because I remember throughout most of 10 and 10, two feeling like Waka was a really interesting story beat that just never culminated in a way that felt like he got, you know, some interesting character growth. Like he does have a resolution of sorts, but it's more kind of in service to other characters and the Chapu stuff is real messy, <laughs> like you were saying. And um I don't know. It's this is a character that I do going into this retrospective, I was going to be like, I'm going to try and keep tabs on how I mm. feel about Waka as this goes on, <laughs> because I feel like of all the characters in this game he's got the most fraught and strange storyline to follow. Um, and, and mm-hmm. yeah, especially here, I'm like, boy, they just kind of go all over the place with, with him and Lulu and Chapu. I, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like it's a total disservice to Lulu as well. Mm. <laughs> like, as a kid, I, I always liked Lulu a lot. And then as playing now, I'm just like, wow, when will Lulu actually have her say Mm -hmm. in all of this? Like, it feels very much like, oh, what about Waka? What does Waka feel? I'm like, who gives a shit at this point? (laughs) It's always about Waka. And it's like, what does Lulu think about all this? And it always felt weird because it's like, every time Titus would bring it up, like, hey, what's up with Waka? What's up with, you know... And it's always to Lulu as well. And I know they're, like, close. But it's like, can Lulu have something that's not to do with Waka? Please, let this woman live. So I found, like, her stuff later on in the game real interesting. But a lot of Lulu's stuff 
is either grief or waka and it's just Mm -hmm. very frustrating and i felt like it felt like a disservice to lulu in the sense that we always see what waka thinks and what you know Mm. what waka's going through but the game never really tries to do the same with lulu and i it's hard for me to kind of look at that in a way that like it's just hard. I like. I really like Lulu. And I re. I find Waka in a way interesting, but it feels very much like unbalanced mm. to me. Anyway. Yeah, and I think that to an extent they're trying to portray Lulu as this person who knows herself and her vision of all of these things fairly well. Because like, I, I think like the most sort of like forward moment she gets in that story is like when she kind of like starts seeing Waka as he is at uh, in Luca. But even thinking back to stuff at, like, Intent 2, like, that is primarily framed about how Waka feels about that situation. And where she is kind of just very sure of what she feels about it and is just kind of content to internalize that and not really make it anybody else's business. And, yeah. Huh. That is... This conversation is kind of, like, making me think more on how I feel about Lulu. Not, like, as a... Like I, I do enjoy Lulu a lot as a character. I enjoy her dynamic with a lot of these characters. But come to like come to think of it, like does she get that sort of own like spotlight in her own story that Waka does? I'm not so sure. No, yeah, I'm and not so sure either. I, I have a mild beef I would like to raise at this time because as we were talking just now, I, I was googling something to uh to kind of contextualize for myself better like what the situation is because I was. You know, seeing this whole dynamic play out, I was like, oh, man, they must have gone through, you know, years of this strife and stuff like that. And, you know, Lulu was such an older sister figure to Yuna. And I looked it up, and Lulu's supposed to be 22 in this video game. Mm. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> what? I, mm, I, uh, it's one of those, I, well, I, this is the thing I think is just a problem with, not, it's not even just Final Fantasy. It was, like, generally, like, characters like people will write characters that have like the emotional not even necessarily maturity but like the emotional arc of a character who is like 10 years their senior like has been dealing with the shit of like something that is often much like that takes a lot a lot longer to get to in life than usually like a 22 or like a, t- a teen because a unit is like 17 in this game i think um which is also everyone in this game is is not their right age to me yeah that's my hot take like I feel like they should all be in like their early to mid, or I guess even like late twenties. Like some probably should be in about their thirties. They they read to me. Mm-hmm, but, I agree. Okay, let, let's do. Let's really rip the bandaid off of this. All right, Orin is thirty five years old in this video game. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That no. man is fifty years old. Yeah. No, this this no. dude, I'm I'm looking at the wiki, I'm looking at all confirmation. He is supposed to be 35 years old. Well, <laughs> which which is amazing given also other things we know about this character. Oh god. Um yeah, no, I'm seeing in Final Fantasy 10 HD remaster. This is from the Final Fantasy fandom wiki. Uh, Oren's character model was remodeled so his skin would resemble more of a real-life mid-30s man. Which, look, if I look like this when I'm in my mid-30s, which is 
sooner than it is farther away from me. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'll be all right. But also, this dude looks like he should be good looking for his, like, 40s or 50s, not his, like, right. 30s. Yeah. Um, Square, have you seen a 30-year-old? Oh. Have you seen a 35-year-old? Can you tell me what him looks like? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> how old um, is Jack? How old is Jack? Oh, I mean, I I know how old Jack is supposed to be because I know how how old Orin is supposed to be, but I will double check it right now. Jack is uh Oh, do they not have an age mm. for him? So the age that Orin is when he is traveling with Broska and Jack is 25. So I think we can assume that Jekt is supposed to be around the same age because I think they are intended to be around the same age, Broska, Jekt, and and uh, Orin when they're traveling. That, uh, the, I, I've never sure. seen a 25-year-old man that looks like Jekt. That man is fucking <laughs> bare minimum 45 years old. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's got... Well, first of all, he's got issues, but second of all, like he's, so many. <laughs> he's he's got a kid that the ages also don't really match up great unless he had Titus at like the age of sixteen. So Oh Yeah. Oh. I, yeah, isn't isn't he seventeen? Like Titus is supposed to be seventeen and it would have been ten years since Jack disappeared, so he would have been seven then. So, oh, he would have had Titus when he was 18 or thereabouts. Okay. Which is not unheard of, but it's, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, so part of this is like, it, it's kind of like when you watch Game of Thrones and all the characters like being portrayed are being portrayed by older characters because... Let me tell you we, about your <laughs> We We age in a certain way, but like, in that world, people live and die on much shorter timelines. You know, like, you know, disease exists. Like, like we live longer nowadays than people in medieval times did because we have more things that make us live longer, whether that's vaccinations, whether that's, um, you know, everybody go get your shot, or uh, whether that's just, like, quality of life stuff. Or whether that's just us, you know, adapting to living and not, you know, perishing out in the freezing cold to a bunch of wolves. <laughs> like, that's... We we have reasons that we live longer. And so I can kind of understand the idea of, oh, you know, everybody here kind of lives in sort of rural areas where they're just living off the land and all that. So I could see there being, like, a shorter lifespan and people having to mature much faster and yada, yada, yada. But... I don't know the the ages just feel off, especially for the story. Like to to bring it back around to the story that they're trying to tell for Waka, Lulu, and Chapu feels like it should be some like deep harbored resentment that's been like festering for years, and not like oh this happened a couple years ago when they were all twenty or something. I don't know. That's maybe that's just me. But anyways, <sighs> Lulu. Um, moving right along, we, we get up to the command center finally, and, uh, the crusaders are all gearing up. Um, Waka's still getting a little mad about everything. Uh, and Yuna's like, Hey, you know, 
be cool you know don't be a jerk they really want to try their best and don't like down talk them again like not just echoing what seymour had said earlier but echoing her own thing of like you know we we want to give the calm to people we want to protect the people we love um and then maester keenock shows up um we'll we'll talk about keenock in a second real quick ken i believe we both chose to not tell gata to go to the front lines right mm-hmm. um well that was an interesting thing i didn't get a prompt or anything so i spoke with so let's go talk to him again later or yes. something? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So after you get the cutscene where you talk to him at the command center, if you talk to him again, you can encourage him to be like, hey, no, dude, do, like go go fight on the front line if you want to fight on the front line. Um, and that is the trigger, as I understand it, for who lives and who dies mm. in, at the end of this whole operation. Um, I chose for Gata to live this time and for Luzu to die. Mm. Uh, and that is because I've seen the cutscene where Luzu lives and Gata dies, and it's messed up. It's real hard stuff to watch. Uh, Luzu, like, goes mad. Like, he's, mm. it's, it's not a good time. Uh, I would, I would recommend people who have played Final Fantasy X and not seen the scene to go find it, but <laughs> I got to that point, I'd even DM'd you, Ken, and been like, hey, which one did you choose? I'll choose the other one. And then when it came to this moment, I was like, uh i'll just watch the youtube scene mm. yeah it's it's a <laughs> lot uh so I, I didn't know one could die and the other could mm-hmm. not die i think i've always done it that luzu dies my god okay mm. right i am typing up that scene to watch later now it's uh it's a yeah, it's a really minor thing too like it's one of those things that you would only i think i only knew about it because i had looked it up in the like prima guide or whatever um, shout out to Jesse Vitelli. <laughs> but, um, uh, I think uh, I, I'd found it in a strategy guide or on Game Facts or something and been like, oh, wow, look at that. And then I looked at the scene uh, when, when it played out when I was playing the game and I was like, because I like Luzu. Like, I, you know, after that scene earlier, I was like, no, I want mm. Luzu to live. Mm. I want them to work through that stuff. But <laughs> it turns out that. Uh, yeah, it's pretty depressing. Mm. It's pretty tough. And, and um, just because like, this, this will be the time to bring it up, they end up, what they did with Nintendo, is that I believe neither character shows up, so they don't have to uh, acknowledge the quantum state of all, either of these characters, which was interesting yeah. for a game that is, like, not really meaningfully doing choice in the way that we know from, like, things like Mass Effect that have done it, like, and, but has, like, a sequel to potentially carry these things over to it was interesting to see them try and like find ways around having to actually reckon with anything hmm. yeah it, it, it is kind of a bummer i knew that luzu and gata were not in uh whichever one lives were not in Tentu because this was kind of before really the idea of what if you made choices that spanned across video games and all that um mm. there there weren't a ton of games doing this at the time so uh i can understand why but at the same time it is kind of a bummer i don't know or or maybe just treat one as canon you know and one is like the non-canon version i would rather they just not show up than than make a canon thing because we all know how i feel about that 
Yeah. But I, I don't know. It feels like the best solution for the time if you're not going to somehow have a thing at the beginning of 10-2 that's like, which one did you pick? Or like, we're going to read your memory card file because that was probably something they weren't thinking about at the time. I mean, Hideo Kojima was thinking about it, but only so he could make this character be like, I see you've played Castlevania. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's It's interesting, but... I think it does result in a cool scene for Final Fantasy X in a vacuum because now you have this moment where a decision that you've made as the player can result in one character living and the other one dying. And that's, I think even at the time, like when I first played that's this, that was, cool. yeah, it's like, oh, oh, that can, that can happen. Mm. And especially like Final Fantasy has had big character deaths before but usually they've been scripted to some extent right like Aerith and stuff like that so um I don't know oh Ken we haven't done Aerith versus Aerith have we oh no, maybe we gotta do maybe we gotta do Final Fantasy 7 next so that could be our next one mm. although you're team Aerith though right I'm team whatever the actual studio decides to call it instead of what fans decide that they want want to call it well, also, she she was that's fair. She was heiress in the original translation that was brought over here of base Final Fantasy VII, and then I think starting with Kingdom Hearts and moving into like Final Fantasy VII remake and stuff, they started calling her Aerith because that is what it's supposed to be is is Aerith and not heiress. Um, Aerith just fits like off like fits better. I feel sounds better. Like, it just it sounds better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rolls, rolls off the tongue a little bit neater. Um, boy, maybe we should do Final Fantasy VII. That'd be an interesting one. Mm. You could watch Advent Children and all that. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> you want to play Target for the Roof? Not really, but, you know, probably won't be the worst game we've played for this podcast. So <laughs> I, I don't have fond memories of some of the games we've played for this podcast. <laughs> Jade Empire. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, Jade Empire was a perfectly fine video game. I'm sorry, but also that game aged like like old old wine. So, um, Kotor will be next. I'll make Ken play Star Wars. Fuck! <laughs> no! Oh boy, that's cruel. It's but, very cruel. By the time we finish Final Fantasy X, we could maybe be in the ballpark of the KOTOR remake. I mean, it's it's taking us a while to finish Final Fantasy X, so we could honestly be in the ballpark of that. Although Dragon Age is probably more likely, but we'll, we'll see. That's, that's still a long, <laughs> long time away. Um, anyways, uh, speaking of of torturing uh the crusaders are torturing a sin spawn inside a cage to to try and get sin to to come out and yes i did realize as i was reading that that we skipped the bit with keenock that i was building up to um so before we start torturing uh the sin spawn by making it play the original kotor <laughs> like we do with ken uh we we gotta talk to keenock who is kind of a minor character at this point i mean he's he's interesting because he serves the role of, Hey, the church is up to stuff mm -hmm. and maybe knows more than, you know, right. they're letting on and all that because, uh, Keenock is like, Oh, Oren, how's it going? Or which, you know, that makes sense. You know, if Oren, Broska and Jack were these legendary, uh, traveling companions and all that, it would make sense for the maesters to all at least be somewhat familiar with, uh, 
the former guardians of of this person. Although it is, this is the moment where I thought about like, what does a guardian do after the end of the pilgrimage and all that? Like, do they just kind of like hang out then? Are they just like done? Or just, you know, go wander, Spira, whatever, deal with stuff? I don't know. I imagine you could probably do whatever you want at that point. Like people mm-hmm. will give you free food and, and housing and you can just travel across Spira again. I don't know. I, I'm trying it's to basically remember. Basically, a celebrity. Mm. Yeah, like, like, do we run into any other former guardians? I don't on think this? so. It feels like a feels like a missed opportunity. I would have liked like a a kind of foil to Orin a little bit. You know, have have another former guardian out there roaming around. Maybe there is something that I'm just not thinking of, but I can't remember any major character being like that. Um. Anyways, we we head inside. Uh, or we're, we're in the command center and uh, Oren and Keenock are talking. Uh, once again, so Seymour had kind of interrogated Oren about where he'd been for the last 10 years. Keenock does the same. And uh, Oren's like, nah, I'm not telling you. Um, and then uh, he, he basically kind of concludes it with like, I've been fulfilling a promise to a friend. And then Keenock whispers to him is like, hey, have you seen Xanarkin? And Oren's just like, I'm not talking to you and walks away. Which is like, huh, that's interesting that he would say that mm. and phrase it in the way he did, kind of knowingly. Like, obviously, he would have seen Xanarkand on the pilgrimage, but the way he phrased it maybe implies something else. Mm. Interesting. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll talk more about this as, as this section goes on, but Keenog does kind of establish this idea that, like, hey, maybe the church is like saying one thing, you know, from its mouth and then doing something else behind its back, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm-hmm. oh, I, the twist at the end here is very, very good. But um, anyways, we, now we started torturing a sin spawn in a cage and turns out they're not very good at torturing sin spawn in a cage because it gets out of the cage and attacks us. Mm-hmm. So uh, we have to do a boss fight. Ken, how did you feel about this this boss fight here with like four different targets and kind of having to adjust to different things that you had to target? Oh, I thought it was interesting. It's um, it, it has layers and it's like an interesting way of like kind of remixing the, the mechanics of the fight to work on one enemy that does not operate like anything you fought before. Um, I did I did keep running into a couple problems that have like some things that are basically like one hit kills but um luckily they aren't like party wide so i was able to work my way around it but it was a lot of like Arn beating up the hand that uses to guard its torso walk coming in to shut its head down anytime that it started to do that um yeah i think i thought it was a cool fight it's uh you know it's playing off of a lot of the things i think 10 was really trying to emphasize which was these fights that are so big that you're dealing with a monster that kind of has multiple parts to it and uh adapting your your combat strategy based on either when things are happening you know specific prompts like oh hey the head is moving really weird we should get waka in here to hit that or or lulu who can also Mm. uh hit it with magic and and take it out but um also dealing with the arms and and then eventually the body um it's kind of a long fight like yeah. it feels a little bit drawn out maybe because the body has so much health and the arms mm-hmm. keep regenerating and Orin's kind of the only one who can really effectively deal with the arms 
Um, I think mm-hmm. maybe if I'd had piercing on Kimari's spear, that would have done something a little bit better, but I'm not using Kimari at all. So, yeah. uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Kimari just kind of comes in to lance it something new when I see an enemy that I know has something he can lance it and then goes back out. I, so I pop him, <laughs> oh, yeah. I pop him in and out to scan. So I have, I have scan on like three other weapons at this point. Cause I, I think I've those. got it on. I think I've got it on Yuna because she has the sensor rod, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And I think I picked up a blitz ball for Waka that has scan as well. So, um, or not scan, um, just the ability to see enemies' weaknesses and stuff like that. Um, so it's, I don't know. It, again, Kimari is a cool character, but just does not exist in this party mm-hmm. everyone else has like yeah. their very specific you know it, it i love final fantasy 10 but so much of this early game is here's a set of enemies uh and they all have very specific weaknesses you have to use the right party member to deal with that weakness and kamari does not have that specific character mm-hmm. and i think that just makes him that on top of him not really having his own sphere grid and kind of just existing on everyone else's sphere grids. I I get what they're going for with that sort of blue mage, you know, can kind of be whatever you want and can adapt to different things. But at the same time, I don't know. It just ends up making him feel like a less powerful version of other characters mm-hmm. with like one trick up his sleeve. And that's about it. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Kamari. He's cute, but that's all he's got going for him. <laughs> he, has, he, has a great, he has a great moment at the end of this section. Great moment at the end of this section. But, yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. They, they're like, oh, shit, Kamari's a character in this video game. We should probably do something with him at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> we need to give him a line or two. Yeah. Anyways, so, yeah, we, we have a big old fight. And I think it's important to note that, like, this is a pretty beefy boss. It takes us a while to get through it because we will fight it again later Mm -hmm. uh and i think the fact that a certain thing cuts through it so fast uh is is meant to emphasize how powerful that certain character is but um anyways as as we finally kill the sin spawn we look out to the coast and sin has arrived uh the crusaders in the all bed begin attacking uh they're they're fighting on multiple fronts they've got these cannons all along the the lines of the the coast uh there's this really big super cannon that looks super badass up you know it's like a tower basically uh and then they've got all the the chocobo knights and and foot soldiers on the ground uh ready for when the sin spawns start uh attacking on the beach and they're they're all fighting valiantly and then sin just kind of releases an energy wave and vaporizes like tons of them so many people all at once um and after this has happened uh we come to yuna comes to i should i should specify mm. um not titus this is yuna we like basically pivot to yuna's viewpoint and uh seymour is fighting another sin spawn that's the same kind of sin spawn that we were fighting earlier so I, I don't know if the intent is that like it's the same one or a different one. I wasn't sure on this. But... I thought it was a different one, but it might not be. It's, it's fine. It, yeah. it, it's it's um, irrelevant, really. Uh, but it, it is like a full version of that 
same fight from earlier and but now we have yuna and Orin joining seymour seymour is in the party and we get to use seymour in battle and seymour's got uh level two tier magic so like fire uh blizzaga or not blizzaga uh blizzara um all, all those spells as well as some white magic uh ken have you ever gotten his uh overdrive in the section i don't think so well what is another it? good thing? To, well, it's another good thing to YouTube. It looks kind of goofy, to be honest, and it's not really like anything earth shattering. Well, so but it, the thing is, like, I'm suddenly I'm blanking on what it must have been because I the, it was not anima. Okay, well, but like I back when I, like I, I think it was in fifth grade when I was playing this game. Um, I got a friend's Game Shark to have Seymour as a party member throughout the game, just because I was bored and wanted to, and like that was a lot of me just like learning what I could break of this game, uh, thanks to that thing. Um, and I don't remember what it, what it was, but I know I must have gotten it at some point because I have played as him before, like in various settings that are not just this fight. Yeah, it's I. so I, I dropped it, for, for the listeners at home, I dropped it into our Discord channel that we're using to record right now, but it's not really that interesting. It's just kind of like it goes into a weird shadow realm and does some like explosions and does a ton of damage. Uh, it's called Requiem, which, you know, kind of builds on Seymour's character, you know, his, his, his whole vibe, but uh, yeah, it's, it's there. It is just kind of neat that they have an overdrive for him mm-hmm. as a playable character. And, and even when you win this fight, which you do pretty fast because Seymour, whether you're attacking or using magic, which I do, um, is his fire does so much damage. Um, you kind of chew through this and spawn in a way that you did not the first time around. Right. It, it like, um, it lasts long enough. Like, cause I think it's like Seymour is like very powerful, but not like one hit knockout powerful. So like, it feels like they want the fight to last long enough for you to understand how powerful he is while not making it like not making him so powerful that that fight ends quickly mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's got like fucking 999 mp which is far beyond anything we have at this point if you're like reasonably leveled yeah yeah they they basically want this this character to be like hey this is what seymour's like and i feel like this is almost a tease of oh seymour's joining the party now uh because even when you win uh, it shows Seymour in your get it, post experience. battle thing. Like, yeah, I... great. We've leveled up Seymour. Spectacular. That that will surely uh, not come <laughs> to bite us in the ass later. <laughs> I was gonna say that would be fine. Uh, yeah, I feel like if this is supposed to be like a tease, like oh maybe he's gonna join your party. It's kind of fun. I do kind of enjoy it, but uh, this is kind of the one. One moment where they're like, oh, what if we add a different character to your party and you got to use this character for, like, one fight? And it, it's neat. It's a cool little thing. I, I like it when RPGs do this. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then we we go back out to what's going on on, on the coast and stuff. Uh, and the Albed Super Laser Tower is trying to murder Sin with its conical super laser. Uh, and it's actually kind of working for a hot second. It's it's doing it's doing some work, but then Sin kind of bends the energy field in a way that lets him just like topple the tower because they're they built a sick tower 
but maybe did not think about like, oh, maybe we shouldn't build a tower because that makes it super easy to topple. <laughs> I was looking at this and I was like, man, if somebody like sneezes, that tower is going to fall over. Um, but even more carnage, even more death, everyone's dying. It's the whole operation has been a colossal failure and, and like so many people have died. It's, it's kind of, it's almost Kilika all over again. Mm. Like it's, but on an even grander scale. And um, we, we finally get to Titus uh, who is waking up in the sand after, you know, all the attacks and stuff. And we literally like uh, run around and we're just surrounded by dead bodies. And it's just horrifying. It's like, Mm-hmm. You know, with the hymn playing and stuff like that it's just haunting and then we finally find Gaza who is just basically having a panic attack um, in a corner and Sin starts to turn around and leave and, and Titus gets super pissed off and starts yell like don't run away and, and starts running into the water to chase after Sin um, Yuna is like I'll summon I'll 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 fight sin now. And, and Seymour's like, no, you can't like, you are too weak to do this. Um, you cannot fight sin right now. And, and Titus min me, meanwhile is, is swimming after sin, at a very rapid pace mm. <laughs> through a lot of underwater <laughs> ruins and stuff, which I think was also kind of cool. Like seeing that the underwater of this entire world is just underwater. Mm-hmm. Like there are all these ruins and stuff everywhere. Um, and yeah, he he's he wasn't really sure what he's doing, but he starts to think back on Xanarkand and Jekt, and we have a flashback. Before we talk about the flashback, how are we feeling about just the devastation that has occurred here? The like like this is a big moment. This is a big cutscene moment of like, yeah. hey, look, there there's not much in this world that's going to be able to kill Sin that is not mm. the final Aeon, right. like. Even our sick yeah. laser towers won't do it. Mm. Oof. It's a lot. I, I yeah, I think I think it's a super effective scene and it just goes to show how obviously how powerful Sin is, but how even now when you've already seen so much devastation with Kilika, but being in the heat of the battle and just seeing like that massive guns, massive, like, army won't do anything to Sin. And just seeing Titus and Yuna both kind of realize that there's still so much pain that Sin Mm. can enact on people. Mm. And as a player, it was just absolutely devastating, especially hearing the hymn and, Mm. like, see, like, like, there's a certain noise that the, I can't remember if they're called fairy flies or... You know uh, the fire, fire, fireflies, fireflies, yeah. fireflies. That's right. There's a, there's a certain noise that they give off, and it like I remember that scene, and like hearing that noise was so emotionally draining mm. to me because mm-hmm. it's just absolute devastation, and like you think it can't get any worse, and it just does. Mm. And then especially seeing these people dead and dying, like some of them are like dot, like not even dead. That in the like process of dying, it is awful. Mm. It is just what well, it's. It's such an effective scene, and it's just. Uh, I remember. I think I cried the first mm. time playing it. 
because it was just awful right. and it, it's a tough scene it's mm-hmm. really tough yeah. it's you know it's what it's probably one of the most toughest scenes i've ever played in a video mm-hmm. game yeah because you're just powerless yeah and it, it kind of like come like come full circle to what like it it, it it has the intended effect, not just, like, as us to the player, but as what it's supposed to mean, mean to the world of Spira at large. So, like, we were talking about how, like, Seymour and the Maesters, like, they, they are basically good at PR. And here we've had this whole section where we've been talking about, like, you know, do these things have to be the, the way they've always been posited to us? And the, the point later where Aaron's going to, like, say to Kenok, like, um... So everyone here who turned against Yevon to use Machina has died, while the faithful, the maesters, mm-hmm. are going to move on. And, you know, that's Auron kind of seen through it, but, like, if that is their intention here, and, like, the maesters kind of, like, backing this to make sure everybody sees that, like, the Machina cannot defeat Sin, but everything that we've already told you can defeat Sin, um, it's kind of effective in that way, because, like, that is that is literally what happened here. Like, they, mm-hmm. the, the people that have been preaching the same things to you for however many years have survived this while everyone that turned against everything that we've ever, ever taught has fallen to sin and mm-hmm. you know it kind of works like it works for both like illustrating that to the player while also like being this more like in-universe s- statement i guess um and yeah it, it comes off after all of these questions that Jesus has been asking about like is this the way that things have to be like are these things so bad and I feel like the game has to kind of contend with that a lot of the time because, like, Tebus is going to ask these questions while also existing in a world that is engineered to make these things inevitable. And it's going to take, like, more more than just questions for, like, Tebus asking questions of Yuna for all of these people to kind of, like, break this cycle that they have been indoctrinated into. And this was just, like, an effective way of showing not only the power of sin, but also the power of, like, the church and, like, the way that it is able to you know, manipulate situations or, like, find these very, op- these very uh, small opportunities to just kind of, like, continue to weave its narrative into the brains of all the people that live here. It's helpful, too, because if you think about the church as this force that doesn't just want to, like, keep people idealistically following them, but also, like, very much maintain power mm-hmm. in Spira because they are a force of power, as we've seen. Um Maybe them showing that mock hey don't don't mess around with Machina Machina bad Machina aren't gonna do anything against sin, also means like hey don't mess around with Machina, and use them to overthrow us mm-hmm. in any way, <laughs> because they're totally ineffective. <laughs> like there's we've already heard the bit about like good Machina and bad Machina and all that, and as we'll soon see, like the church is totally cool with being like, Oh no, we're using the good Machina. It's mm-hmm. okay. Like we can use the good Machina, but you shouldn't use the other Machina. That's the bad Machina. Don't use that to overthrow us. Like there's, there's very much like Oren when he does say that to Keenock is like seeing through a lot of what, or, or implies that like, yes, he's been seeing through mm-hmm. a lot of what the church is doing. Um, and oh oh man we're, we're gonna see even more don't worry um anyway we, we skipped right over the the flashback which is we see um Titus, first we kind of see like spirits of the various crusaders and stuff and we actually do see luzu here mm-hmm. and it's it's actually incredibly sad because luzu just looks like lost mm-hmm. and and gone and it's it hurts a little bit every time I see it, but, um, 
and then we see the kid that's kind of been following us throughout all of these little spirit moments and a blitz ball. And we get a flashback of Lil Titus, which we can kind of run around here, although it's not really like it doesn't really do anything. Mm. Um, but we hear Jekt and Titus having a conversation, apparently from Titus's youth, where, um, you know, Titus is kind of throwing a lot of stuff back in Jekt's face about like, oh, they're saying you're washed up. You know, they're saying you're why won't you stop drinking? And, and that's that was like the first time that I remember this being brought up. Like, oh, maybe Jack had more problems than just being a dick to mm-hmm. his son and all that. But like, mm-hmm. oh, he had a drinking problem. And, and you even hear like Titus go, OK, then stop drinking right now. Just do it. And he's like, ah, just, I'll do it tomorrow. Why leave for why, why do today what you can leave for tomorrow? Ah, ha, ha, ha. I'm great at Blitzball and a terrible father. And um, that's. Like and then Jack starts mocking Titus for like crying again and stuff like that. And so we really get those flashbacks of like Jack being awful mm. and um, again like a, another stark contrast from you know way back at the beginning of the section. Orin makes a comment about how Jack wanted to go like stop monsters all the time too, and that would always mean trouble for Braska and Orin because Jack was wanting to do the right thing. And I, you know, and. I'm really interested to see how the Jekt like development plays out because here we get our first bits of it where Oren, you know, finds Titus alive back on the beach and is like, Oh, you're still alive. Huh? Your, you know, your story continues today. So many others didn't. And Oren also makes a mention here of like, sin is Jekt. Jekt is sin. Like mm-hmm. he, he wasn't here for the sin spawn. He wasn't here for whatever he is here for you. And and Titus is like, well, what are you talking about? And uh, like like he did all this to see me, and and Orin's like, uh, he he kind of did this so you could see him. Like he wants you to see that this is what he does now. This is what sin is. This is what he's become. And Titus is like, why he killed all these people just to do that? He's like, yeah, because he wants you to kill him. Like he wants to die, and he wants you to be mad enough at him over all this to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um. Which, hey, we're really going to start to explore some dynamics here. <laughs> <laughs> um, as much as I think it's easy to write Final Fantasy X off as like being, you know, the daddy issues RPG and stuff like that, I really do like the direction they take with the relationship between Jekt and Tidus and the way it evolves and the way you get to kind of see this relationship play out over the course of the game, especially with the very special circumstances that they end up in. I I don't know. I think it's really effective and it really works here because I'm like, Oh yeah. Shit. What if Jack like was in this horrible situation and he's like, the only thing that's going to save me is convincing my son to murder me. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I I don't know. How how are you feeling about it, Ken? Uh, I think like, like you said, like it's easy to kind of distill this game down to the daddy issues RPG. And I think like that is something that I'm kind of coming away from a lot of this Final Fantasy X retrospective so far, is that like the distance we get between us and a thing generally means that it's going to be like kind of there's gonna be like a distorted vision of it and it's like most bare minimum components and how we talk about it is often um uh, defined by what what is easy to like, you know, make a meme, what is easy to make a buzzword. I mean, that's kind of been, like, the pretense of the show. Like, even when we were reading Mass Effect, it was, like, a lot of these things, like, weren't 
what they they aren't what people call them now, and I think that's just kind of like I said, it's just like the longer, the more time we spend away from something, the more we kind of miss out on the nuance of a lot of it, and um, that is, I think it's just, that's kind of been my takeaway so far with a lot of the Jack stuff as well, is that like, yeah, everyone calls Tebus a crybaby, but hey, this kid had an abusive fucking father and is dealing with like mm-hmm. a world that's constantly telling him how great he was, and yeah, it's good. Yeah, I I agree. We kind of it's it. I think a lot of about Final Fantasy X has just transformed into a bit of a meme, mm-hmm. and it's just it's so sad in my opinion. <laughs> like I I I think again I'm a little biased because this was like my very first and favorite Final Fantasy X game, but I think it's so much more than just a daddy issues RPG, mm-hmm. and like obviously you know that plays a part, but I think a lot of it. Like, looking back at it now, Titus is such a good protagonist. Mm. He's mm. such a good character. He's emotional and vulnerable. And I think back uh, when this game fr- first came out, that's such a monumental thing. Because, you know, you've got your, your like, your solid snakes and everything who gets the job done. And, like, you know, very gruff and mean, like, you know, jacked would probably be, like, the protagonist back mm. in, around that mm-hmm. time because, you know, he's so cool and everything like that. And then for Titus to be the protagonist in this game, it just it just feels really incredible, in my, in my opinion. I think it's just a shame that Titus has been put into a, a box. It's, like, whiny or emotional it's like who are you are, are you his father god like way to like mis like interpret him mm. but yeah i i i really like the flashback scenes because they they address a lot of what like jack's seen as a hero in this world and it must suck for titus because he's seen as a hero in zanakand as well so i feel i feel like I kind of feel for Titus in the sense that, like, Jack's still torturing him even in this world that he doesn't even come from. So, I feel for Titus a lot. Mm. We also got to feel a little bit for Yuna here, who once again has to start dancing Mm. uh, to send all the people that have died. Um, Mm -hmm. Which Titus also comments on is like, I, you know, I want her to stop dancing and all that. Um, bad news for you there, Titus. <laughs> but um, Seymour shows up, of course, is like, hey, you gotta remain strong. You know, you've gotta be strong. You are spear is hope, and you can use me as a pillar to stay strong. And this is where he drops uh, a, a little thing that, yeah, Ken, I noticed that too. I was like, I think this is the first time we hear about Unaleska. Mm. Um, he says, you know, make make me your pillar as you, as lady Unaleska had her Lord Zeon. And I was like, that's the first time we're hearing about these characters. Okay. Characters that will eventually be very important, but, uh, and obviously one of them is Yuna's namesake. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So, um, but, um, a little bit of interesting, interesting stuff there, planting a little seed of, of a future conflict, Mm -hmm. both with, kind of Yuna's internal conflict and also uh, Seymour being a total creep, but you know, we'll, we'll get there. Um, 
And I, I do want to note, like, something that really hit me in this section before we set out again on the road is you kind of run up this sort of path after you've talked to everyone and seen all these scenes and everyone's just kind of standing in this circle waiting for Titus. And there's not like in, in previous parts of this game, there was a lot of like, come on, you know, we got to go on the pilgrimage. Come on, hurry up. Let's get going. Let's hit the road. Instead, everyone, you know, also like very tight knit group. Like they're all standing close together and stuff like that. They're like, you know, hurry up Titus and all that. But, um, now they're all kind of standing far apart from each other and mm. there's not really anything said they're they're just waiting for you to like run up and be like you not even say anything you're not even saying like okay let's go you just kind of walk up and they all kind of just accept that like okay let's mm. let's keep going and that was surprisingly yeah. powerful to me of like oh that everyone in this party is kind of silently acknowledging that they have just gone through something together and they've all had to kind of individually deal with it and then you know they're they still like wait for everyone to i I actually like that they wait for titus you know um it's it's almost like a silent acknowledgement that like titus is a part of the party Mm -hmm. when it it has not always felt that way more like he's kind of a tag along Mm -hmm. and all that so um you you think back to like kiliko when half the party was already in the woods waiting for for titus and waka to show up and all that uh whereas here like they're they're there you know they're they're there and they're waiting for you to kind of catch up and stuff it, it, it was just a moment that really really struck me i don't know if it was intentional but mm. it, it worked it it did a thing very well for me right. um so we get moving on uh down another road that after all this solemn like you know this music is playing and we're like dealing with a lot of the the ramifications of what we just seen. And then all of a sudden, you know, screen shatters and da, 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like, you couldn't just turn off encounters for a little bit longer. And granted, like this is the area with those basilisks I was talking about. So I was like, cool, let's farm a little bit. But at the same time, like a lot of on, shit game. is happening. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but then we get to the end of the ro- well. So before we get there, um, we do finally hear Kamari speak. Mm. It's amazing. It's incredible. And and y- y- Yuna's running forward, and she's like, "Yeah, come on, let's go, let's get moving." And Tius is like, "Huh? I'm surprised Yuna can be so cheerful." And Kamari's like, "You know, it's a mask." She puts this on, and um, you know, Tius is like, "Shouldn't we talk to her about it?" Like, and. And Kabari's like, no, she'll just feel worse mm. if you if you are sad. So please, like, put a mask on, too. Mm. And then they do the whole bit with, like, show me your smile, Kamari, which is great. And I took, like, <laughs> oh my God. screenshots. Yes, <laughs> that's such a cute moment. And it's just like, ah, oh, I love that moment. Yeah, you just reminded me of it. It's, he, his smile is perfect. Mm-hmm. Kamari smiles the best. Just, I love he having just shows Kamari. Like that. I love having a console that can take screenshots now with this game because yeah. I just have a million screenshots of Kamari trying to smile now on my PlayStation <laughs> five. It's great. This is what <laughs> this is next gen. This is truly what we were waiting for. Um, so wholesome. Yeah. And then, uh, well, we get to the end and Lulu's like, Hey, here's the next like billion stops between us and Xanarkand. But first we got to go to the Jose temple. 
Um, and and we gotta stop in and and pray there because that's the pilgrimage. And then we get a cool little scene with Oren. Ked, why don't you tell us about the scene with Oren and and Titus real quick? Uh, sure. Uh, Oren stops and it's basically like, "Hey, don't tell Yuna about Jet." And Titus is not really doesn't understand why because they, they've talked so openly about so many other things. And then Oren says, "If he does that, then she's going to probably." distance herself from him um which is not part of his plan here um and she just is like that's but that's ridiculous nobody will believe that but then arm like really points out like yuna is the one person who is going to believe you and w- there, there's a point where he also at, or like he's asked like, well why did you tell me then why did you tell me in the first place and then arm is kind of like i i felt it was better for you to learn in the safety of luca than it would have been to learn at a critical moment where your emotions could interfere with something else something bigger going on mm-hmm. and Aaron and, and she's like well fuck you why would you think that and then Aaron says like I heard you were cry- quite the crybaby and <laughs> so great thank you thank you for that one jet and I mean like it's they're, they're, that's fair <laughs> like I mean if he had the reaction he had at Luca in the middle of that fight or something like that yeah um, I, I like this moment a lot too because there, there's a very interesting line that that Oren is like, Yuna would distance herself from you if she knew, and we wouldn't want that. Um, very like multi-layered thing to say, right? Like, oh, you wouldn't want that Yuna not being around you, but also like, very much acknowledging that the end goal of all this is for. Titus and Yuna to like confront something together mm-hmm. and like Oren kind of letting it show that he's not just bringing Titus along to like meet Jack and all that, but that Yuna is very much a factor in all this too. And that he knows something about that as mm-hmm. well, uh, which this whole section we've kind of got an idea of like Oren knows more than he's letting on, which we've known for a bit. And, and like there was another mm-hmm. thing that I can't remember off the top of my head, but there's something that Titus asks him about, uh, on the beach and, and Oren's like, uh, it's, it's, I'm not telling you that yet. Like I'm, it, it's not time for that yet. Um, and I, so l- let me hit you with a weird head cannon. All right. Let me hit you with this. This, there is no actual reason for this to be the way it exists, but it's kind of a fun thing to think about. What if Oren is as old as he looks, even though he's supposed to be 35 um, because he's in a time loop and every time he fucks up, Jack sends him back in time to like try and redo it and end, uh, Jack once and for all. And so he's like, had that go wrong before where Titus didn't know that Jack was sin and it like ruined this critical moment. And Oren's like, you know, has learned from that. I don't know. It's there's literally zero canonical reasons to believe this, but it's something fun to think about. I don't know. Maybe this is just me. Maybe it's just that there's a lot of time loop games out right now, and I like to think about that. But hey, you know, it's it's like really you never know. It could be the plot line of Final Fantasy X free. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> oh, finally, we'll be able to retcon the Blitzball. <laughs> um, but yeah. Wrapping on this whole section, Amy, how did you kind of feel about the whole like me and high road and the operation me and, and all that leading into Jose and, and kind of what, how, how'd you feel about this whole segment and how it fits into the broader 
uh, slice of Final Fantasy X? Um, I think it's a really evocative, like, three different, what, three different areas mm. that mm-hmm. they're all, like, they all have their own merits, and I think it really highlights what Final Fantasy X does best, and that even though, you know, you've got your silly moments, it's still very much a story that, uh, well, it's about people and wanting to do wanting to fight for the world and what's best for the world and it's just someone said something to me and it was something like oh final fantasy 10 reminds me a lot of lord of rings because it's a lot of walking and i'm like Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) that's true but like what made that stand out for me was like lord of the rings is very also very much about people coming together to fight a great evil and that evil not necessarily being so wildly different from who they are like sin and not to get spoilery sin as a concept is an interesting one Mm -hmm. and i feel like these three locations and these three different areas really help kind of sum up how important what one how important the journey is two how much it means to all of the characters for them to get rid of sin and free Titus's place in that world and the significance of that as well. So I, I think, you know, if someone said, what's your favourite moment in Final Fantasy X, it would actually probably some be some probably be the Meehan, Operation Meehan. Mm. I, I think that's really significant considering it's like, what, only like eight to 10 hours into the game. Yeah. I think so. So yeah, I really feel like these three areas help kind of show what players are getting into. And it's only like such a short area, but it's very significant. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, we're, we're, we're starting to get into pieces of the story here. that are going to get very real. Mm. They're going to kind of mm-hmm. turn this from, you know, just a pilgrimage to take down the big monster into, like, we've seen a lot of death and destruction that really, like, pushes the story forward. But also we're going to start to deal with some of the main characters, like Titus and Yuna's own internalized issues and the problems with the world at large as well. Um, mm. And I feel like yep. this is the moment where the story kind of goes from being this very, you know fantasy travel journey to being something like Lord of the, you know, to use the Lord of the Rings reference, uh, like comparison very literally, like this is the, almost the breaking of the fellowship moment where we're going to be like, okay, this is no longer just a heroic journey for a group of people, but we're going to have to start dealing with some real hardships. And, you know, our, our big moment where we realize that in fellowship is like, Oh, Hey, you know, Gandalf and Boromir are, are dead. <laughs> like that's, <laughs> um, and now here we have, like, we've seen all this death and destruction and Yuna is having to like cope with that and deal with that in, in interesting ways. And Titus is going to have to start really like grappling with the fact that his father is a giant monster that murders everyone. And, uh, it's, it's a cool moment. And really like this, this feels like after Luca, the moment that the game is like, okay, you're out of the tutorial area. You're out of kind of the, the setup. And we're really getting into what the meat of this game is going to be. Mm. And 
It's exciting. And then we're going to go into a mm-hmm. temple that I really don't like. But don't worry, we'll like be somewhere good after that. <laughs> mm. um, Ken, any closing thoughts on this area? Uh, y'all got to the heart of a lot of it. I think like it is you know this really significant turning point for the character. But I think it is also like a world-building section that it, like raises starts to like, raise a lot of questions about this world, but also like very explicitly shows you the danger of asking those questions and like why people might be hesitant to have done that up to this point. And it like required somebody like Titus who has no concept of this world and what it means and has, has to learn like in real time, but still be asking about these systems that are in place. Um, and how that kind of person can just kind of throw a wrench into this finely crafted system that, uh, has been kept in place for all this time. I'm very excited to to dive deeper into this story. I was I'm very happy to to have gotten back into the swing of things because man, Final Fantasy X mm. still good. Before we do our wrap up, let me remind you all: we are Normandy FM. We are a retrospective podcast. Uh, we've covered many, many games, including uh, Mass Effect and Dragon Age, which obviously our namesake comes from. But we are now currently on Final Fantasy X. Uh, and we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash FM, where you can help support us, keep the show going, uh, and, and cover some of the costs that come from it. Uh, at any level that you back, you will be able to hang out in our Discord where we post dumb memes and hang out and talk and stuff like that. It's a good time. You can head over there if you'd like for any amount donated on the Patreon. But if you back at a slightly higher level, you will get the episodes as soon as Ken is done editing them and at the highest level, you get your name shouted out every week on the podcast. And this week that list is Colin, just Colin, just the wedge of destiny, Mercedes Cluis and mere randomly. Thank you all so much for backing and joining in on this journey that we are on. Amy, where can the folks at home find all your excellent work? Awesome. Well, you guys can find me on Twitter for one, uh, Amy Wright, and I also am editor in chief of Gaming Magazine. That's Gaming with a Y, and that's GamingMag.com. That's where you can find me and all my work. Heck yes, we were. And thank so, you for having me on. Yeah, we were so happy to have you back on. Uh, love to talk all things Final Fantasy with you on here. We're probably going to have to talk again at some point because we do have a 10 2 to get to if that is your kind of jam. So maybe we'll have to, uh, have to look at that. Well, 10 2 is like super gay. So probably. <laughs> 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 oh boy. Can't wait for it. Next week, again, uh, I will remind y'all because we had the weird uh, breakup of this. Uh, next week, we'll be doing the Jose Temple. Uh, followed by the Moonflow and Guado Salam. So basically all the way up through the Guado Salam stuff uh, will be next week. That's going to be a very, very busy week. Uh, but we are looking forward to it. We'll see you there next time on Normandy FM. Mm-hmm.